This program is brought to you by Genly Productions. At genlyproductions.com, you can find resources to nourish and inspire, including home retreat kits, home study courses, books, and accessories. You can also join our free Emerging Icons video series, or sign up to get good mail the old-fashioned way and receive our full-color, magazine-ish catalog in your mailbox. Genly Productions. Hold the possibilities in your hands. I'm Jen Lee, and you're listening to Retrospective. Today, I'm so happy to have with us Christiana Froelich, who is a conflict researcher in Hamburg, Germany. And so we are talking long distance across the miles. Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's more like midday over here, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon for you. <laughs> Good early morning for me. Thanks for talking to us today. Thanks for having me. Um, one of the things I wanted just to kind of set up for people is that you have been doing conflict research for some time now, and you've had that that's looked a lot of different ways at different times. So can you tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like for you and what your work has looked like? Because I know it's different now than even a couple of years ago. Okay, I'll try. Um, so I started out as a, well, basically, hmm, let me see. I have to start really early if I wanted, if I want to tell you the proper story. Um, the short way would be to just say, well, I studied English literature, history, and psychology. Then I was convinced I was going to be a journalist. I was always interested in politics, and you know, I I wanted to write and for people to read it. And I finished this first master's degree and I realized I'm not so sure about the journalism thing anymore. And I got, during the last couple of semesters of my studies, I got really interested in the Northern Irish conflict. Um, I had this thing, this obsession with Ireland. My friends would laugh at me. I was convinced I was going to live in Ireland at some point. Um, I, I can't explain why it was just a sort of fascination that happens to you and um, I was very interested in the Northern Irish conflict and in the religious aspects of it and um, the whole conflict setup. I really wanted to understand what's happening there um, and when I spent some time uh, in at Warwick University in Great Britain um, I got even more invested in that because it was closer uh, geographically. Uh, then I spent some time with the Irish Times in Dublin. You see, I wanted to be a journalist, as mm -hmm. I said. <laughs> um, and they let me go to Northern Ireland to do some reporting there. Um, and I went there during the marching season. I don't know uh, whether you're, you're familiar with the, with the conflict setting. There are marches every year uh, where the Catholic um, part of Northern Ireland or a large part of the Catholic population um, is continually um, provoked by Protestants marching through their um, living areas, and it's it's just one of the very very strange for our eyes um, ways how the conflict is articulated over there. Um, so this was very impressive for me. Very. Uh, it, it, had a lasting impression on me. 
So when I realized I wasn't convinced of becoming a journalist, especially because I'm not really into talking to people I don't know, which is not very helpful if you're a reporter, you know. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I realized these things. And um, so the next logical step for me was to look at universities in Ireland that would teach conflict resolution or conflict studies, which I did. And I could have gone to Northern Ireland to study there, but it was very expensive. And at the same time, my university here in Hamburg introduced a master course in peace and conflict studies. Um, and I got a place there, so I chose my home for this new exploration in, in the academic world. So I did another master's degree in um, peace and security studies, it's called. And from then onwards, I just, I don't know, it just, one thing came to, to the other, I guess. It was not planned at all, um, but I found that peace and conflict studies is something that I'm very passionate about, very interested in, and I found a, a new topic. I started to work on the Middle Eastern conflict. Um, also because the Northern Irish conflict by then was considered solved. It's not really solved. It's not a warm peace, but we haven't had terrorist attacks in a very long time. And um, so it seemed like it was time to focus on another subject. Mm -hmm. And I had always been very interested in Israel and um, the history of the Jewish state and the fate of the Palestinians from very early on, which of course, and this is the long story that I am telling you now, even though I said it was going to be the short story, but never mind. Um, well, it has to do, of course, with my heritage as a German who's aware of the history of my country. Um, and so I, I had always had this fascination with Israel. I, even when I was 13 or 14, I was contemplating changing to Judaism from my Catholic faith. Um, not really seriously, I didn't really get in touch with uh, any any um, rabbis or anything like that. I wouldn't have known how to get in touch with them to begin with, but I had always been very interested in, in the history of that conflict in the history of the Jewish state and in the relationship between Germany and Israel. So it was sort of logical to focus on this conflict. And then I got interested in the water conflict between Israelis and Palestinians because I had to focus on something in, in the Middle Eastern conflict that had not been given so much attention as everything else. I mean, the, the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians is one of the oldest conflicts that we have on this planet right now. Uh, so there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of academic research on this topic. Um, to no avail, as everybody knows. I mean, the conflict is still ongoing. There have not been any breakthroughs, even though Oslo had looked like one. The Oslo um, agreements had looked like one for, for a while. Um, so yeah, this, 
um, I talked to my supervisors of my master thesis in that second master's degree of peace and security studies, um, and we decided I was going to write about the water conflict between Israelis and Palestinians. From this master thesis developed a PhD thesis in which I uh, did a discourse analysis of the water discourses on both sides, which sounds very technical, but which is basically I looked at the narratives, at the stories that people on both sides of the conflicts tell each other about um, the issue of water as a conflictive issue between them. And I looked at how these stories affect the conflict and the cause of the conflict, um, to put it in, in, in lay terms, if you, if you like. Um, and this is what brought me to this day, basically. I did um, edit the German peace report for a couple of years. Um, and will you just say a little bit about what that is for those of us, um, those people? listening who don't know? Yeah. Well, most of, most of you won't know, I suppose, because it's it's really a, a very Germany-based sort of publication. Um, it's the German Peace Report has been published since 1987. It's an annual publication, um, and it it basically is the yearbook of German peace and conflict research. We present it every year in Berlin in front of the um, well. It's it's called the Federal Press Conference, Bundespressekonferenz. If anybody who knows German is listening, um, and. Uh, we also presented, we have been presenting it in Brussels for a couple of years now um, to the European Union, to the European Parliament. Um, and it is, well, one of the best known um, channels for the academic community of peace and conflict research to talk to political decision makers, both on the German level and the European level. And in that report, you also, you not only describe findings, but you also make recommendations. Is that yeah. right? And that's what makes it different from most academic work. Even though when you look at peace and conflict research, the idea of writing something um, that is related to peace research is really always, or it really always has to be a normative idea because peace research um, as its goal or its imminent goal is really to achieve a higher level of peace on a global level. So it's always a, uh, a normative um, discipline. And uh, so in that sense, whenever you, you work in conflict and peace research, um, you are trying to give recommendations for practical political decision-making that will make um, the life of the the world a better place to put it very uh, generally um, but the peace report is the one publication in Germany I would say that is um, strongest in in that sense because I mean academic writing tends to be written in a very particular way it also tends to be read by maybe three or four people um, and the peace report is different it's it aims not only at political decision makers but also but also um, it's tailored for teachers who 
um, teach at schools at different levels um, in political science and social sciences. Um, so it's it's a little bit more easily accessible than the usual academic writing will be. Right. There are um, so many things we could talk about <laughs> here. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up is that um, I think that when we became, when you and I became friends and started to talk on a regular basis, one of the things I was really intrigued by was the way once you were involved in your research and you were editing the piece report, how you also then, so you're in your work dealing with these problems and um, situations that are really global in scale and scope. But at the same time, the things you were learning, you were also kind of dealing with peace very close to home, like all the way down to like your relationship with your sister and with your parents. And, um, and it's one of the most interesting things to me about your work and your personal journey is the way you don't divorce the two. I guess you don't just say, I'm going to do this for my work. <laughs> and then I'm going to come home and just live how he's going to live. But you're just always integrating and um, it with the personal, with your other aspects of your life and that you have a really interesting perspective because your parents were children during World War II. So um, you grew up, you know, with people who had who had experienced that the realities of war firsthand well um yeah it's uh you call it an asset but it's also a curse <laughs> right it's not easy right no it's it there's a there's a particular impact that you've had in your personal life from war there are a lot of days um not any given day but i i would say 50 percent of the days um when you ask me, would you prefer to be able to separate the two, I would probably say yes. Mm. No, um, that it that it really helps me to develop on very different levels. Um, but it's still, it's very, it can be very exhausting. So yeah, my, my parents didn't. Um, my father was born in in 1944. My mother was born after the war in 47. So they grew up in um, after. Germany. Um, my grandparents uh, were obviously adults during um, both, well, one of them uh, was even an adult during the First World War, but all of them were adults during the Second World War. Um, the men were soldiers uh, on different levels in the German army during that time. Um, and as I said, uh, my personal family history, um, at least, it makes up at least a part of my interest in the Middle East and in Israel. Um, but yes, I mean, what you said about uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to integrate what I learn on a professional level through my research um, in my personal life, which is not always easy, um, but. I, I can see uh, what I learned from my research is that conflict, regardless on what level, whether it's international, national, local, or interpersonal, um, it always comes down to the stories that we tell each other. And it's 
very hard work to change these these stories um, and you have to change them if you want to change the conflict setting if you want to uh, if you like unconflict if you want to get out of the conflict you will have to let go of a couple of the stories that you keep telling yourself about injustice about um, all sorts of things uh, and it's, it's very it's very hard work it's very internal work and it's very challenging but still um, you can do this and on all these levels as I said interpersonal local national international it really comes down to that if you want to really solve a conflict on a long-term basis you will have to deal with the narratives with the stories that are being told every day whether it's in families in schools um, and you'll have to very slowly and very consistently change those stories because then you raise a generation that is freer in their thought that can take that can look at reality without all the all the glasses that we tend to put on and this is true for my family life for my relationship with uh, different members of my family, uh, for my relationship to friends, as well as for states dealing with each other. Because what what are states dealing with each other? In the end, it's human beings sitting in one room representing a state and a state politics and state interests. But still, it really matters whether Angela Merkel gets with the French uh, president or not or with Obama or not you know this this really it plays a role it's very hard to um, to analyze from a from an academic academic point of view because I mean how are you gonna get your data um, and for this reason in it's it's not traditionally looked at it's it's even kind of frowned upon to take that into account to look at this closely as as one actual factor in political decision making but it's still a reality just because we don't have the means to to get the data to use our usual methods with um, it doesn't mean it's it's non-existent mm. yeah that's that's the extent <laughs> of it another thing that I wanted you to share about is that I I really think of you when I think about people who are pioneering a new way to imagine their work. And you, you've made the decision to be a peace and conflict researcher in an unconventional way, at least for this stage of your life, because you're not in a full-time position at a university, for instance. And um, sometimes we laugh and we joke about how people can hear what you do and then they think she's probably unemployed. Um, And they don't realize that it's like a really conscious, creative choice that you've made um, with your partner that has to do a lot about the life that you guys want to lead. So can you tell us a little bit about just doing that, like being a researcher in an unconventional way? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's very true. People keep keep asking me these things. Some of them uh, are even cheeky enough to actually ask me. But you are you're actually unemployed, aren't you? <laughs> uh, 
And I'm like, no, you can, you know, I have the piles of work to show it on my on my desk um, and the back to prove it as well. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, well, I'm not only a researcher, I'm also a wife and a mother of two. Um, my my younger daughter, I have a son and a daughter. My daughter's going to be three in two weeks. So you get a picture of um, how how much attention they still need. My son is five, my daughter almost three. So um, when we set out building this family, my husband and I, uh, we decided, or we were both very much, we never really, we, we never really talked about it even. We were just um, convinced that we wanted to make it happen, that we split the the work evenly, um, that both of us would work, and that we want children. So um, from very early on, I think we both had a an idea of how we wanted our life together to look like. Um, this was long before my son was born. Um, so when my son was born, the transition into motherhood was not not very easy for me because I had this very strong idea of what I wanted it to look like, and it looked nothing like it in the beginning. I was <laughs> in the um, final phase of my PhD thesis, which I'm sure there's someone listening who's written a PhD thesis, and I'm sure you can relate, writing a PhD thesis um, is work that brings you to very, very different edges of yourself continuously, and it's very exhausting, and it's um, it takes a toll on yourself and on your relationships, and it's just really not the ideal time to have your first child. <laughs> Let me put it that way. So um, I, got, I got pregnant, it was all planned. I was uh, convinced that I was going to have this child and then carry on as before. And uh, transition was a bit bumpy, to say the least, um, because also because I had assumed I was not going to have to discuss all the things that I thought my grandma and um, my mother had to discuss with different men in their life about housework, splitting housework, about childcare and all these things. So um, I really didn't know what, what I was getting into, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and Well, we figured out a way, well, first of all, we had to sit down and take stock and say, well, okay, this is not going the way we had imagined it and we'll have to really find a way to um, to get where we want to get with this family. So my, I have to add maybe my husband is in public relations. Um, he's been working with different agencies, uh, freelancing for a while as well. Um, so this is this is where our major income is from. So we depend on this job. But also, uh, my husband, luckily, is he, he wants to spend time with his family. He doesn't want to do the usual thing that's, that's happening in 
public relations or a lot of what I've, I've been seeing at least is like this uh, where you start early in the morning you come back at 9 or 10 in the evening and um, you really don't do m much else than work mm. so interested in that um, which was a good place to start and then we had um, well we just tried to uh, to get some this idea to get closer to to the 50-50 and to um, to basically get on track to that goal because right after my son was born well right after my son was born my my husband um, he took two or three I think it was three months off because you can do that in Germany. I know, don't be jealous. It's it's not me. It's just here. Um, they introduced this so Germany wouldn't die out because we don't have enough children being born over here. So they introduced these um, these incentives for people to have children. So you can take time off, off of work uh, to spend time with your newborn son in the first year. So... These, these first couple of weeks were fantastic and then he went back to work. I uh, was at home with a two months old and I was uh, in the final phase of my PhD thesis. Not ideal, as I said. So this is where, where I really realized that it's not going to work the way I envisage it and the way I'd seen it um, in, my, in my head. Um, so, yes. Just try to make decisions with this goal in in mind. Um, so my husband um, stayed in his job, but he was lucky because his boss at the time had small children himself. He was understanding when somebody was ill. I finished eventually. I finished my PhD thesis. Um, I then enjoyed the freedom for a while. Then had my second child. Um, and this this was when I was already editing the peace report. Now you have to see that we were both really lucky. Both my both my husband and myself, we were just lucky with the employers that we had because my employers basically said, "Well, you're not even living in the city where our institute is. Um, you're living six hours away, in fact." Um, but we know you, we trust you, you can work from home and you can do this editing job from home. So I've been working from home for a couple of years now. Um, so I have my, my office set up, which is ideal in many ways, especially when you have small children, but which is, of course, also difficult at times because not having the, the geographical difference between office and home can be challenging. Uh, to say the least, but uh, this was lucky, um, and then we took it from there, basically. Um, and I, I always had contracts that would only last for a year or maybe a, a year and a half. Um, and I, even though I wouldn't mind to have security for like a longer period of time I really don't mind this kind of work because I've always at the same time I've always had a very just freedom to to work on the things that I'm really interested in so um, 
I really didn't didn't mind this, especially because uh, we weren't dependent solely on my income. Um, because my husband, of course, is uh, is earning too. So um, I think the the next step for us was to find a community in our city Hamburg, which is up north in Hamburg in Germany. Um, with whom it's a it's a community of nine families and we found each other because all of us wanted to stay in the city um, close to the city center and have our own homes build our own home so we joined forces and built the house that I'm currently living in together with um, nine apartments 16 kids 17 adults uh, and counting and um, uh, this was the next break, I think, for us because um, here childcare. We have such a strong community in in the uh, house and in the whole neighborhood that childcare. When somebody's sick or I have an appointment um, or a neighbor has an appointment, we we cover for each other, which makes it so much more. Um, well, it ma it just makes it so much easier. Uh, than it was before when you I don't have to pay a babysitter I don't have to factor that in um, in in our financial planning because uh, we just help each other out and it's uh, it's a sort of equal relationship so that really helped a lot and then when my last contract ran out um, I took two months off because this was the the editing job of the um, German peace report that I told you about earlier uh, and when that contract ran out it was clear I was not gonna go back into that job um, and I wasn't I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go I had finished my PhD I had been editing this book for uh, three years and I didn't, didn't know what I wanted to to do was I gonna aim for a career in academics or uh, was I going to go into what they call private economy, maybe even consulting in some way. Um, and I took two months off, which I've never done before in my life, to take stock and to really, really listen um, into the voices in my head, which are plenty, by the way. I hope you feel the same. <laughs> to just really listen and find out where I wanted to go with the next couple of years. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really get an answer that would be like easy. I, I always came back to the point where I said, I really don't want to have to decide between academic work and political consulting. I really don't want to decide. I've done both. I've enjoyed doing both. I'm fairly good at both, I think. So I really want to do both. And I, um, it felt like a very, very heavy weight on my shoulders to have to, to decide this. Until I talked to... Um, a friend and mentor um, who's who's one of one of the very very few at least in Germany one of the very very few mothers who's been living exactly the kind of life that um, I'm trying to live now she her her kids are almost grown-ups by now but um, through all that 
childhood. She's been publishing different kinds, sorts of texts. She has worked in academics. She has worked in conflict resolution. She has done all these things. Um, and she's made it work, even though it's a very unconventional sort of, sort of uh, choice. Because, yeah, let's face it. I mean, most people, when they, when they did their PhD, they decide, I want to I get a professorship. So they do everything they need to do to get a professorship. And as soon as they have it, it's done. And if they don't get it, um, they, well, some of them I know, at least, um, they are faced with depression and severe um, doubts about themselves. I just, I, and I can't, I can't decide like this, this, um, this kind of decision is too, I don't know, too strong for me. I, I just couldn't do it. So what really helped me to talk to this, this mentor of mine, um, this friend of mine, um, and to just know that she's done it and that it is actually possible. And that was enough for me to decide, well, I'm, I'm just going to try this because if I'm not going to try this now, I'm never going to, uh, I'm never going to. And, um, I think I'm, I'll always regret if I don't, if I don't try it. Um, so, uh, I took all the technical steps that you need to take in Germany if you want to be self-employed. Um, and I basically sent out to the universe and everybody who wanted to uh, or didn't want to listen that I was going to be a freelance conflict researcher from now on and ever since even though I mean with the keep in mind that it's not the only income that my family depends on but still um, ever since then well things have have just kept coming up I have to turn things down um, I have to turn people down from now and again because it just doesn't fit with our family schedule or I'm already booked or that kind of thing. And it's really quite amazing. I think especially to my parents, by the way, who grew up in a very, very different setting work-wise. That, that's the generation when you, you uh, got your degree and then you started a job and you stayed in that job for 35 or 40 years. And that's simply over. And if it's over, I'd rather be my own decision maker. I'd rather be the one who decides, even if it's every six months, who I'm going to work with and what I'm going to work on. Because as long as that's possible, I think I, I just prefer to work like that. And so when um, my husband uh, lost his job um, a couple of weeks back, uh, we tried to do the same for him to um he took some weeks off uh well he didn't really want to take weeks off but he was out of his job so um you know and he took the time to look at the positive sides of this and to look at what he really enjoys doing and at ways how to integrate more of these things into his work life uh, and he's now started a new job and he's much happier with it. So, generally speaking, I would say I would highly recommend taking time off, um, or even if it's if even if it's forced because you're out of your job or something like that, 
um, don't look at it as something that's that's entirely negative. It it is a chance as much as it is a challenge. Mm, that's really great, and I've really admired and respected the way that you and Sebastian have really supported each other in those times of transition. And it's like, it's more than, I think it's more than just thinking, oh, I want my partner to like their job. It's like you guys really understand at a deep level that your work is a central piece of who you are in the world. And that you really, um, it's important to you to foster each other's growth and development in that. It's been really fun to watch. Yeah, this is true, but mind you, we also fight, so don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's been exciting to watch your journey unfold and to see you, you know, travel to Osnabrück to teach and, you know, to still get to do all those things that you want to do, only now do them on your own terms yeah. and it's, have it work for you. It's been exciting for me, too, even though it's... Really, I can't say this often enough because uh, I get this a lot that people say, how do you do it all? You have two children, then you do all these things. Uh, it sounds so good on the surface, but it's it's not always easy. Not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, have, it's, it's a daily sort of, I wouldn't call it a struggle, but uh, we have to... Um, yeah, just deal with the normal complications that everybody has. If a child falls ill or, I don't know, whatever, you you name it. Um, and it, it makes it as difficult as it makes it for everybody else. So I just wanted to point that out because otherwise it just sounds like... Lest we romanticize it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us today and for sharing your story. It's so interesting to hear how a girl who thought she would be a journalist <laughs> and maybe convert to Judaism, <laughs> you know, how you have this journey that, like you said, wasn't really planned out. But um, I've loved hearing you take us through how it's unfolded from one step into the next. Yeah, it's it was fun to tell the story. And now that you say it, I mean, I'm still writing. I'm still doing political writing. And um, I'm still very invested in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or the, the overall issue of it. So I think those very early notions weren't that, that wrong, that off. Right. So I think that's true for a lot of us. I do too. I do too. So thank you so much, Christiane. People can find you online at christianafrolik.com, yes? At DE, not com. Oh, DE, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the address, yeah. All right. Thanks. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retrospective. I'm your host, Jen Lee. Meet me back here for more conversations and stories about where we are and how we got here on Retrospective.